Eyes on Whiteness is a podcast that illuminates the insidious and ignorant ways of whiteness, regardless of intent. Our guests are invited to practice the work of transmuting white supremacy and patriarchy, as these constructs are pervasive and ever-present for all of us. I'm Deidre Barber Vasquez, Black and Puerto Rican, lesbian, New York Californian, living in the Southwest, mother to dog child Onyx, cis woman. I am my own. I am my mother's. I am Earth's. I am you. I'm Maureen Benson, a white, straight, cisgender woman living in Oakland, California, doing my best to be a principled accomplice for racial justice in these apocalyptic times. In season two, we're excited to share with you a series of incredible conversations with extraordinary guests that we invite to engage the question, what does it look like to be an intersectional integrity? We want to thank our brilliant and kind producer, Aaron Rand Freeman. And if you'd like to support us, we'd greatly appreciate it. You can find us on Patreon, Eyes on Whiteness, and you can rate and leave a review anywhere you're listening to this podcast. Welcome to the show. Barry Schwartz is a 37-year-old cisgender white Jewish woman who has been rumbling with and doing courageous work around understanding and dismantling systems and impacts of racism for decades. After graduating from John Hopkins with a master's degree in school counseling and spending 12 years working in and with Baltimore City Schools as well as local nonprofits serving the youth in Baltimore City. In a bold move, Barry chose to leave education for two years and then accepted a position working with BME Community, a national nonprofit organization founded by Trabian Shorters, aimed at reframing the narrative around Black men. In 2017, Barry moved back to her home state of Illinois, Chicago in the house, and is now working for a school district serving as a behavior and equity specialist. Hello, everybody. Hey, hey. Hello, hello, hello. Hi, Marie. Hi, Hi Deidre. Barry. Hello. How are oh, you I waved. today? <laughs> Sing-songy Deidre is back. <laughs> I'm doing, doing well today. How are you? <laughs> no one told me this was a musical, but I'll participate. Jump right in. I don't know I why. It. I don't know why. I it was beautiful. I was appreciating it. <laughs> we are in joy, and that's what we do when we're in joy. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for that, Barry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'm hanging out with my two two of my favorite people in the world. So, oh, yeah. Of so course, I'm cool. gonna sing. I'm gonna sing. Good morning. <laughs> this is this is really um, this is epic for so many reasons for me, um, and it's a real honor. Um, it's a, this is a real honor. Maureen, I'm a freaking fangirl. <laughs> same, same. Right back at you. I've been, I've been hearing about you. Your name's been dropped in conversations for 17 years. <laughs> no, actually say more like, let's say 14. I was going to say 12, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Somewhere around. 12, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Like name drops. Yeah. The feeling is mutual. From that first moment, <laughs> that first moment that I met Maureen and you and I were on a team. Barry and I used to be on a training team together. And we each individually would have to work with principals in our summer work. Maureen was one of those principals. And thank the universe for all the principals who were willing to do the work we did. That's and right. some were a little bit easier to work with than others. <laughs> <laughs> and Maureen was one of the principals that the alignment was so beautiful mm. from the get go that, yeah, your name got dropped because we would always <laughs> talk about, you know, what it was like to work in the schools and our experiences. Yeah. 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 And that was before I was actually in the school system. Right. So for sure. <laughs> I'm so excited to be here. All of my teeth are showing. <laughs> Every single one. I'm excited. 
<laughs> well, shout out to you because I am also a fangirl uh, back at you in that thank you for all of the amazing work you've been doing both in the system and also as a white person in steadily increasing your mindfulness and consciousness, uh, practicing the work of transmuting white supremacy and patriarchy. Uh, there are plenty of white folks who... <laughs> are working in the system that are not nearly doing that work that you personally are doing. So you're a bit of a shiro of mine for doing that work. So thank you. Thank you so much. And, and both of you, thank you so much for um, this course that I've gotten the absolute privilege of being able to work through. Mm-hmm. Um, it is remarkable. Thanks. Th- this course and the way it's laid out and how you allow us to operate through it and work through it. It's like the most delicious and hard to eat like course of meals ever. And you got to eat in little bits and pieces and rumble with it. it. But it is so incredible. And it's given me a language that I've not had before to do this work in ways where it feels like all folks can hear me differently. Mm. And that's been huge for me. Thank you. <laughs> so, uh, because what folks out there may not know is, uh, we mentioned a little bit, Barry and I have known each other for a very long time. Um, and so, and Barry is also taking the course, the course to which she speaks is our cultivating intersectional leadership course. Uh, and I was really um, thankful and grateful that you've decided to have this conversation with us for for um, multiple reasons. One, uh, because I, you know, I I really respect and uh, am interested in the way you move in the world and the choices that you're making. Um, really, from the moment we met to you know now, um, and. Um, in general, that, like just who you are, I have a lot of respect for who you are as a human. Um, and then also when you agreed, Barry is one of the folks that when we were testing out the course and we did a soft launch, we asked people, we tried to like be really inclusive and ask people from different fields, um, as many different fields as we could to take the, to, to engage this course mm-hmm. that um, Maureen and I knew would be impactful, but we weren't really sure how it might be engaged by mm-hmm. other people, right? <laughs> who, are, who are not in the bay, in the bubble of liberalism or whatever. I don't freaking know. So, <laughs> and so when you said yes, I thought it was brilliant. And then the way that you have just really taken the content on and keep pushing yourself. So um, I thought, I thought it would be really interesting for folks who are also in school systems, who might mm-hmm. be teachers or count school counselors, folks who are doing equity work with adults and students to hear about your journey, not just with our course, because um, it's, you know, the concepts that we have in the course are not things we created. We just created the avenue or the, the process of putting those concepts into a, a model or framework for folks to use. Um, so I thought it would be really interesting to have a conversation with you around this idea of intersectional integrity um, one, because we know each other so well. Uh, we were just talking about how, like, uh, those who listen to the podcast regularly, if you remember, we had a conversation with the amazing and wonderful Derek Canty. Uh, Barry is in my world from that uh, that world as well. And Barry knows Derek like I do. We were on the same training team. Derek trained Barry Godfather, us. that was perfection. <laughs> <laughs> that was perfection. As were the Minions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you don't know what Barry's talking about, you got to go listen to the podcast because mm-hmm. that's it. It's, it's, really it's a really good, it's a really good episode for many yeah. reasons, especially love when he calls you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Barry. So for all those reasons, I wanted just to talk and I just thought it would, uh, it would be helpful. It would be helpful to, as I practice confronting the idea of bigger is better in white supremacy. I'm learning that um, if if I can do things daily that impact one person, that is enough. And I feel like your bio alone, Barry, will pull in that one person who feels you, right? It's like, oh, I'm Jewish. 
I'm white, I'm his teacher, I'm this, I, you know, and like, I want to hear about this. And uh, my goal is that giving you a platform to talk about your take on this idea of intersectional integrity might help mm-hmm. that person as they walk their journey. So thank you for giving us your time. For sure. For sure. Where would you like to start? Do you have, I mean, Maureen, prepare a question. Maureen could throw a prompt out. I want to know. <laughs> there you go. Uh, no, 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 no. I w- how did you all meet? You just like teased us with this. You all used to be back in the day, 17 years ago in this place that Deidre, we've heard a lot of your memories about in that conversation with Derek, but how did you all meet and what was that like? <laughs> well, so, so we were a part of this youth facilitator training workshop and I was pretty fresh out of my undergraduate degree where I had just started um, really grappling with um, what it meant to be a white ally and like just really figuring out why like the term colorblind was so problematic. This is where I was and in a very like militant way figuring it out. very angry, very militant way of figuring out like what it meant to use my privilege to combat privilege. And so my mother, Lord love her. She's like the most, if you can think of like a stereotypical Jewish mother, you would know Jody Gale Greenspan Schwartz, full name on the internet, <laughs> full name. Okay. She is also one of the kindest humans, like most loving humans. Problematic, maybe. (laughs) Um, But loving. Agreed. Very loving. Nonetheless. Um, And she volunteered with this organization, and she was like, Barry, it's a must for you. (laughs) It's a must for you. And so they weren't letting in folks who hadn't gone through the program or had some kind of other interaction with the program to be these facilitators. And I begged. I knocked down doors and I begged and interviewed with like 10 people to be a part of this group. And so we meet as this group, 13 of us, (laughs) the biggest training group, where we basically have to rip open every wound we have personally in front of these group of strangers in order to like heal ourselves. And, And who do I find there? My person. (laughs) Um, And, you know, I was the only white person in this group of youth facilitators going through this process that I had never engaged with before. And it was a really um, interesting, hard process especially because the students that we were working with facilitating were all students of co- mainly majority students of color from urban cities across the United States mm-hmm. so it was it was it was intense and i think really started that the mirror work, mm. the I, I, we did a lot of lens work in college, right? A, and some mirror work. I had a teacher who recognized in me, uh, you know, I was taking African-American studies as my first history course. I was the only white person in that class as well. And, and she really just like, she didn't call on me for three days, three of the classes. She wouldn't acknowledge me. I failed every paper I wrote in. And when I handed her my transfer paper she said so you're ready to give up after three classes when this is what I faced my whole life like if you're really ready to learn come back Um, and we'll do this work together in a very different way and so that was my first kind of lens work but college summit was mirror work Mm. we had to look at ourselves it was it was an intense process but in the process um found you Deidre mm-hmm. who has been 
like our roles together have been ever evolving and shifting and finding spaces and we go periods of time without talking i always feel connected um we've had to amend the soil a couple times (laughs) we've had to unpack and apologize and Mm -hmm. and unpack things and have always come back and in this space right now i understand why Mm -hmm. right like i understand why we had all of these experiences and it's always made sense for where we are in our in our lives and our development so well well, you know it's interesting because it was like i feel like we my experience of our friendship relationship process was intersectional integrity in everyday practice right like everyday practice we didn't i wouldn't have named it that you know, it's Me like either, getting here obviously. now, 17 years later, it's mm-hmm. one of those things of when we, when we, when Maureen and I started thinking about these ideas together, you know, for me, part of that came from being introspective and self-aware about how I got to where I am now and what were the things, right? What were the things that were required or that I mm. explored and like that intersectional integrity of being friends with, you know, someone in that situation where it's like, it's a circle of 13 um, you know, I'm the only outwardly um, queer person. Uh, you're the only Jewish white person. We we were othered, um, whether mm. that was our perception or not. Like, I think some of it was a perception that we projected because we already felt oh, outside. For sure. outside. Um, and so we found each other in, in that, the other in that circle, yeah. you know, uh, the so, literal so, circle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they wouldn't let us folks, out of there was an incidence that happened in our first right so that 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 training was a two-year training it was a three-year training but uh the way that they do that training is that initially there's this in-depth 10-day training that we all have to go through together as a group um and we had something really interesting occur with <laughs> with our group but i know for me it was life-changing it was life freaking changing um uh, so can you share, Barry, with folks what that what that was? And, and particularly just to remind you, like, I would love to hear how that situation was for you then and maybe go into how you might you look back on it now and how you your behavior might be different. Yeah. Um, so we were in a small town in the south. What was the name of it, Barry? What was the name of it? Lynchburg. Lynchburg, Virginia. Deepest south I'd ever been. And I felt it. As soon as we drove from D.C. down, I was looking out the window and I was like, I could hear my ancestors crying. I could feel it coming out of the dirt. I mean, there's a tree that was memorialized on the property near where we were for being the first tree where there was like a lynching and the NAACP had to come down and like remove that space not many years before we were there with a group of kids who were coming down from Baltimore DC and Virginia and this was before I had chosen to work with students of Baltimore. So this was my first experience with students from the DMV area, youth from the DMV area. What does DMV stand for? DC, Maryland, and Virginia. Although Baltimore feels outside of that for many reasons. So I'll name students from Baltimore specifically as well. Mm -hmm. We're there. Um, And again, I was really one of, Besides some of the volunteers, um, one of the only white folks facilitating the workshop and many of the staff were also white in this place called Lynchburg. Um, And they... I heard direct 
racist comments. Get control of these. Can I say this? Can I say what I heard? Get control of these monkey children and and um, phrases that'll. I mean, it was pretty bad. It was it was as as derogatory as you can as offensive and derogatory as you can imagine. Those are the things that were said. And these comments were directly to me. They chose me to say these things to because they saw my, my assumption is they saw my whiteness and thought that it would be okay. That's right. That's right. Um, and now, now remember, this is when I'm first grappling with what it means to be an ally. And boy, did I, I, I mean, I, it was explosive. And the tears and the anger and the the militant, we must not stay. Um, uh, I didn't, at the time, you know, looking back, at the time I felt like I was fighting um, in all of the ways that I needed to fight to protect the the kids who I loved. Right. right. And the human who was there, Deidre, who I felt most, who was my family at that point, right? Like, she was my sister. And I went, like, all hands on bear like bear mode like when we, we talk about like trauma responses and fight flight or freeze like i'm i'm fighting on the 10th degree um and in a way that now like in my identity development in um going through the process of understanding privilege and whiteness and intersectionalities and how to be an ally and you know these things that we as white folks are constantly assessing and grappling with looking back like I did a lot of problematic things in that moment like I did a I did a lot of problematic things that I thought were that I thought was like being the best and looking back now I'm like oh you know when like you're not supposed to take over and you know when your tears don't matter and your feelings need to be put aside and your story needs to be like I did none of those integrity things and those integrity checks that mm. uh I now understand were necessary in that moment holding space for other voices and really addressing the patriarchy and really addressing the systems and you know all of those things that through our development you call it a pendulum in the course right this pendulum of white identity development because it's totally not linear especially when emotions get involved Mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. um but grappling through that process um and looking back Man, did I make <laughs> I stepped right in the landmines <laughs> of these of like what it looks like to be in this white savior complex space a- and understanding like I did the best I could with the knowledge I could and boy was it problematic. And it's okay to mm-hmm. say that and amend that. So that was our first experience really um, grappling and both of us I feel like we were real angry <laughs> oh I flipped I flipped out too I flipped out I was mad and I was mad here's like internalized anti-blackness I was mad at Derek I was mad at Derek Canty and Odette Swan for putting you know like I just immediately went to why would you put I'm a Yankee I was like, I'm a fucking Yankee. Why you put me down here with these rednecks down here in the South? Like, that's where I went to at first. Just really angry of like, I don't deal with white people like this. Like, this is some real fucked up white Southern shit. You even called out, like, how did you prepare the college for these kids coming here? How did you create safe spaces? They didn't even know what they were getting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we brought, what, like 60? 75. kids down to this college and that was that was 
how we were responded to. So there was a lot, you know, there was a lot of anger. Um, and then it shifted. Then I, you know, then it did shift to the organization of just like, yeah, what was the prep? you know, who came down here, who came down here and like felt it out? Like, you know, and then, you know, but the anger, it is nonlinear, right? Uh, you know, there was no intersection at that point in my life. There was no intersectional integrity. There was just full on rage for all things. Right? <laughs> it's just rage. But and then I was raging to, with you. Yeah. Getting, getting to, to like, like, where's the protection? Like now I've realized what I was trying to get to was this idea of having an understanding of intersectional integrity of like, is this, is this about offering a, an opportunity for students uh, to grow and learn? Um, and that's the focus. Like our North Star is the care, the proper care of these precious humans. Or is it just to have colleges, make some money for the, make some money and a name for the org and, you know, make it happen, right? Like that's that, you know, that's the way. Now I know, like, you know, it's, it's both, oh, I'm, I'm sure it's both end. I'm, I, I have a lot of compassion that, uh, compassion and grace that I have now that I did not have then for the folks who made Same. these decisions. Like I had none of that. I just was pointing the finger out and like had no ability to slow down, breathe and kind of see that, um, yeah, of course. Like people worked at this org because their intention was to be helpful. Their intention was to create beautiful space for students to learn. And we all make mistakes, right? Or we all don't see what we need to see until it's put right in front of us. I know that now Like you're saying, like, I know that now. At that time, I was just angry. I was just angry and wanted somebody to pay and wanted someone to get me the hell out of there. So there was a while that I, I did not give myself grace. Like as I learned more about what it meant to be an ally, I was, I was really unforgiving of myself. It took a lot of therapy. Um, and how did that self reflection. That's very, that's very, but how, how would that manifest the, in terms of like not the giving yourself embarrassment, grace. embarrassment, shame, you know, a lot of, uh, I did a lot of self work with Brene Brown's tools mm -hmm. around um, shame, vulnerability, um, accepting yourself in the phases that you were because they allowed you to become who you are. Um, I had to do a lot of forgiveness around that. A lot of, um, I now call it, um, collective care not self-care but self-care um what does that mean collective care i feel so dr jen wright wrote a book called the four pivots that's just recently um come out um been released and um he talks about the privilege attached to the the term self-care like it's it's when you have time or when you have the extra money to spend on caring for yourself when in actuality folks who are in this space doing this work um us taking care of ourselves does greater good for community it's not just about like putting on a, a face mask and calling it a day. Mm -hmm. um, I really mistreated myself for a very long time. I was 305 pounds and excused not working out, not eating right because I was doing the work. Mm -hmm. I was in the streets with these kids. They needed me, right? Um, and And just mistreated myself. So that collective care of caring for myself allowing myself the space to be well so that I could then really be able to impact and, and from a place of wellness, not from a place of, um, defamation or lack. I'm sleeping, I'm eating, I'm fueling my body, right? This is a, this is not a short lived fight. Like there are the education system dismantling these systems like this is not short-term work y'all <laughs> this is this is 
long-term, long planning, not feeling the changes immediately or for a while, you know, that long-term work. And so collective care takes that individualistic, like selfish lens from it. Um, and I think makes it more accessible for everybody because, you know, we talk about like the myth of the strong black woman and what that actually, how problematic that actually is, um, in terms of like not allowing spaces for care. So that collective care is Mm -hmm. taking care of self in order to better humanity because it takes away that like selfish selfish lens for me Mm -hmm. you know as a related aside for our for our listeners uh if you want to hear more about that from the lens of a black woman listen to the uh conversation with amara tabor smith because she talks using the very similar language of like i forget there was there was a t-shirt maureen that i said i can't remember it now but like that i you know she said this really beautiful thing about Self-care is, my self-care is community care or something yep, like yep, that. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, I really, I, I feel that. And so in this work around forgiveness of myself, um, that was my first, again, it's like the mirror work versus the lens work that we talk about. Like, we got to look in. I feel I need to. I was just about to say, Barry, switch back into the eye. (laughs) I know. I saw it coming. I got the coursework pulled up just in case. (laughs) Got a split screen going here. Uh, (laughs) I, it is necessary for me to do the, the inner work before I step in front of folks and I ask them Right. Because I'm, I'm doing these trainings in school districts, like for school districts. Um, so how can I stand in front of a group of folks asking them to give themselves grace when I haven't been able to forgive baby Barry? Like for mm-hmm. me, it doesn't feel authentic and it allows me the space to really speak about something in a way that like is tangible for me. Folks can feel passion and that tangible nature, you know, that's important. Mm. That's why that was important for Mm. me. That process of being able to find the grace to give folks grappling with this work. Because I may have done this in this you know, I've had a really unique life. We all have unique stories, and mine is. I look back on it, and I'm like, how the did this happen? Mm-hmm. How did this happen? How did all of these webs get weaved together? So I'm doing this work now. Um, and I think that that grace in being able to, like, do this work and give people grace and hold them accountable and not allow bullshit, right? Calling it out, naming it, figuring out ways to bring folks and voices together. Um, you know, using, we, I, I use the liberatory design model of like, um, shout out to calm. Um, and the national equity project using these spaces to like bring in, voices and being able to like dismantle this top down power structure with still being able to give grace and operate in a space of love and integrity Hmm. and that space sheesh game changer i mean that space you have to be real intentional about creating that I can't hear what you're... she was trying to say. I, <laughs> I have to be oh, real intentional. I, I, oh yeah. Deidre, she made a motion in the camera and I have to be really intentional, intentional about ensuring that I don't go to anger, which is a real natural place for me to go. Anger, 
um, but because of the trauma that I've experienced in my own life, sure. right? I go instantly to fight instead of now as being more healed, more healed, still a process, um, more healed in being able to honor people's process. I'm really intentional about that. And I still fuck up. Hey, it's, I always say like, it's not, it's not that we fuck up. It's how we show up to the fuck up. Right. <laughs> and how we amend the soil. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm really curious because both of you shared uh, about this experience you had close to 20 years ago. And uh, Deidre, I think you said something like to the effect of, you know, we weren't, we weren't present to intersectional integrity in that moment or as present to it as I am now. And I'm curious, given the ways in which each of you showed up that you're in reflection around, you might do differently. That's cool. And I, I'm really curious. I think actually, Barry, you spoke a little bit to that, like showing up with grace and compassion in the face of anger, using a model that brings people in, right? Like that's, that's a reflection of what you might've done differently, but I'm really curious, like, in the face of handling it the way each of you handled it, something still kept you all together. And so it makes me wonder, like, the threads of intersectional integrity that did exist that made you want to stay in relationship, even through ways of being that you might not now be. And so what was it for each of you that made you want to stay in relationship through the oopses and ouches? Um, for me, it was feeling seen and heard by someone like Deidre was able to see me, feel me, hear me and get me even in my incredible anger and missteps. Like I I still felt valued and seen and I had a really hard time because of trauma with my mother, um, valuing myself enough to have strong relationships, friendships with women. And Deidre was safe for me to do that with, um, it, it wasn't a question for me. Um, she matched my level of anger. Uh, so I didn't feel shame around that. Um, and w- we operated as a, as a pair, right? So what I said, right or wrong, in public eye, D had my back and and I had never felt that level of support from a woman before. And so, um, I, I come from a history of abuse where I felt not protected by my mother. Uh, my father was abusive and felt like my mother did not protect me and got rid of the problem which was me because without me in the household they were able to maintain this family unit so I never felt valued seen respected love from the folks who were supposed to respect and love me the most and I felt unconditionally seen and heard whether or not that was real we know later that it wasn't Uh, but I, I did feel unconditionally loved and heard and valued in this space where white folks weren't really being welcomed into. Thank you for sharing that, Barry, for being so vulnerable mm-hmm. and transparent. Thank you. Not share. You know, it's interesting because I, I love that question, Maureen. Thank you for that for that question because I think I I agree with everything you're saying. And I think for my for my side, it had me thinking like there was a dynamic of the space and time that played into this, but, and it also reminds me of the thing that I'm learning about this idea of intersectional integrity and 
the, the concept of transmuting white supremacy and patriarchy, I tell people I work with, and I, and I remind myself of this all the time, it's very contextual and it's very nuanced, right? And in this, in this question you're asking, Maureen, I can see, you know, the dynamic of the space made the context one in which Barry and I were going to go to each other even with outside of the things that we sense safety within each other, because we were, because it, we were all we had <laughs> in, that, in that, in the context in the, of that in space. In the moment, right? we, we were only all had each other. We had. And a lot of, like she said, like not only was, it wasn't just Lynchburg, but just that work was just, it was a really beautiful training. Like I'm so grateful that I had the opportunity for that training because it really was about, um, it just tore us down. To, we were bare, like bare. It was raw like they sent work, work, just raw. They sent us home, and we really like with these open wounds. wounds yeah. <laughs> and I used to say, like, I was coming home, and there was like hot sauce in my wounds. And, and then we the work to heal them, right? And they did. They left us with tools. Like this is what you know to help us get more authentic, right? To help us get more authentic. But I think in a I think that the age difference between us made a difference. Um, I think like what Barry, what you're talking about in terms of being seen by me, I think my intuitive self had a sense of connection with Barry because the, the woundedness that Barry walked with was familiar for me. It was a very familiar thing. And so it was, um, For me at the time, since I'm such an intuitive person, I just didn't necessarily question what that was. It was just a connection. I just always knew that there's a connection between Barry and I and that when things came up, because things came up between us based on the difference in our age, like our generational differences, our racial differences. Um, I think that the safety of me, like the reality we talk about intersectional integrity is because my gender presentation was I was female but not right. Like my gender presentation as a time. I just realized that right now. Did you, (laughs) what are you realizing Barry? If folks were looking at this video, they would have just seen my brain explode because as I'm thinking back, I'm realizing that the way you present in terms of what is it? Left of left of center. Yeah. Masculine of center. Masculine of center. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> Why is masculine left? Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> no, I said left of center, but I meant to say masculine of center. So I'm just kidding. I, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you're being joking. Sorry. <laughs> Thanks, Maureen. <laughs> I'm left-handed. That's why. Um, oh, anyways, masculine of center. Uh, that. It. Appeared. Different. My brain was able to accept um, the love, I think, differently because of that. Um, When so much of my trauma came from, interestingly enough, it it wasn't my father that I found fault with, even though he was Mm -hmm. the one who was Mm -hmm. abusing me. It was my father was sick and had stuff going on. And mom, you were supposed to be my safe person you were you were okay obviously we know better now and we see with grace but but just the fact for me that you appeared more masculine allowed me to trust you in ways that I never would have I I really believe that because mm-hmm. I remember and the I never conversations, that. conversations that we had, that we had around, around you having better understanding of me and the fact that I present one way, but identify another and, you know, and, and that I present more masculine than I identify as <laughs> and, you That's know, what facts. that would mean about our, our friendship and how that impacted our friendship and the eight. So it's like contextual, right? Like there's all these, inter- it's that intersectionalities of identities that were at play. And as we get older, what that means in terms of being able to look back, learn, and unpack. Again, still, you know, we've been over this countless times. I have been over this countless times (laughs) in my brain, and still the learning that comes from it, the accessibility, because I have language 
Um, and I think that that's such a huge tool. Just having the language to speak about what we're doing um, for me has been a game changer in my abilities to work through these spaces, especially with other people in my current roles. Um, not only in being able to understand what was happening in the past in those dynamics, but being able to work through now with other folks what's happening and having language. Yeah, my experience around the language piece is it helps me not it helps me know I'm not crazy. And I don't mean crazy in a pejorative. Like I really like, you know, there's so much stuff that can happen in the world that makes that before I could name, oh, this is actually real, I would internalize it, right? And think there's something wrong with me. Everything else is normal and there's something wrong with me. And then once we have these things that we can that once we have these things that I could name, I could see oftentimes it's it is white supremacy, right? It's like I can see the ways in which my spirit battles with competition. My spirit battles with perfection. My spirit battles with bigger is better. Um, to realize I'm not, I'm not, I'm not loony, <laughs> right? The system is off kilter. And, and this, you saying that, thank you for saying that, because it just brought up this vivid memory for me when I had just started taking the course and actually looking at what it meant to, okay, so I work in a system that is built as a microcosm, like a direct replica of larger society. We have that microcosm in education, um, and, um, just having started taking the course and, and being okay with saying that I work in a system of patriarchy that was built on racist ideologies, racist systems, patriarchal systems, that I operate in that on a daily basis and am confronted with it on a daily basis. And I um, didn't have the language to address it in the moment. Like I knew I was feeling it and I would always be, I've always done work around um, dismantling systems of privilege and, and racism within the school system, but the patriarchy piece, I never really addressed. And I was um, sitting in a meeting with my boss uh, and he said, you know, Barry, you have so many great ideas. You're, you have so much good going for you. You would just be so much easier to work with if you learned how to color in the lines. <gasps> and my mind exploded because things like this had been said to me so many times before. And I would like feel like I had just been punched in my stomach and feel like I had just been slapped across the face and not understood why. Because, yeah, you're coloring the lines. And for the first time, I was able to look at my boss in the eyes and say, no, that is the point. The point is that I don't want to color in the lines and systems of patriarchy and racism. My exact job here is to dismantle them. And I said those words to him, which I never would have had the words to say prior to taking this course. And it was like, I had this like us on my chest. You didn't punch me in the gut. You didn't quiet me down. I, in fact, can have this conversation with him now we continue to like amend the soil look at these intersections have a conversation about why I appear in this way and after that is when I was offered the position of equity specialist like for coloring outside the lines <laughs> I don't want to color in lines yeah I'm not doing it and so, um, learning how to 
operate in systems, refusing to color in lines, yet figuring out how to do it in a way that still allows people to feel valued, seen, respected, and loved, really like loved. Um, That's very important for me um, to operate from this heart space because that's like where my, my power is, is through my heart space. And, um, so operating from there with folks, um, has been really important for me. I was going to say centralizing that that power. That was one of the things Maureen in response to the question, what was it that kept bringing us together? It was like, I wrote down, um, though you, you, you couldn't hear me write it, but I wrote down, <laughs> uh, the love she moves with. Like, I think that was the other connection that Barry and I were blessed enough to be put in a situation, but people at the time that we met that the things that might disconnect others from each other, um, the sense that I, at least I believe this was true for you and Barry, please correct me if not, but I think there was a, there's a sense that we both had, at least let me use our tools. I had the sense that there's a love that's the core of who Barry is that kept me connected to Barry because that's how I move. And I also understood that most people thought they knew me, but didn't know me because at the time I didn't know how to express that love in any way other than rage. But I look back on it now and realize that rage was love. I just Mm. had no concept or idea of how to express it. it. Same. And I think that we, that's what what connected us. Like, um, for those eighties babies, I'm going to age myself. Um, you know, like the care bears, how it like they shoot out the laser of love from their hearts. They activate. Uh, that's <laughs> that's the type of like that I would, you know, now I do all the chakra work and you know, meditative metaphysical work that I never did. But boy, did you feel you feel like this laser shooting out of Deidre that you can't like mm. that heart space mm-hmm. that once you're in it, you're going to stay there. You know what I really love about both of your answers to that question? So thank you. Because what I think you all just beautifully illustrated was why we ask folks to stay in the eye. And like so many folks want to jump to like, what do we need to do as a group? Or, um, you know, like, what's the tool for how I should talk to someone else? And when I asked you both just to reflect from the eye, like what were the threads that kept you together? You actually talked about the same, like, you know, I was seen, I felt valued, I felt love, um, you know, I, uh, we, we created, we were in a condition where, like, we were open and vulnerable, right? And, like, and then now I know, just even from this short conversation with you, Barry, but, like, the work actually is creating the conditions that people can be vulnerable. What does it look like to, like you said, the liberatory design work from National Equity Project? Like, how do I support people? But like, I need to see, have them feel seen and valued. And so I, I, I just, I think that's so great because so many folks get really frustrated when we ask folks to stay in the eye, but the answers always come. <laughs> the answers always come from that. And even like this epiphany you just had, I really wish we don't do video anymore, but you literally were like struggling to not have your head explode because you're practicing the tools of, oh, what was that? I'm aware of trauma that I had. I'm aware of a way in which I assigned blame to my mother and not my father. I'm looking at the ways that patriarchy exists. Holy shit, Deidre, you are masculine presenting. That influenced how I, but that's actually about you. That's not about Deidre, right? And so then that is completely, you're going to go look and see, wow, how not if is patriarchy showing up in the trauma around my mom? How not if is that impacting my ability to have relationships with other colleagues that are women, right? And then like, so I just really appreciate y'all taking us on that journey there because uh, I think it's a great example of why we encourage people to stay in the eye, why, why this mirror work is actually really powerful. It is. Um, it's 
the mirror work, and I keep referencing the course because what I have found that in my process, and it doesn't speak, I mean, there's references to schools and working in schools just because of experiences. However, it's changed the way that I've been able to operate in looking at my own intersectionalities, right? And I really, I have spent a whole lot of my time in my career looking at specifically race, right? Racism. How does that affect our kids? How does that keep them from opportunities? Racism, racism, racism. And I rarely Mm -hmm. have looked at patriarchy. Mm -hmm. And I have been operating... My brain has been operating in such systems of patriarchy and how I could never get to be the facilitator and leader I am at this point and will still develop into because Lord knows I'm amending the soil all the time using this model that also addresses the lens of looking at patriarchy has has really shifted my my own views on myself in what identities give me access targeted non-targeted mm-hmm. give me access to power relationally and what that means for working in a system that was built mm-hmm. on on masculine patriarchy racism mm-hmm. and privilege mm-hmm. Um, it's really, it's really been, um, so I, I'm so grateful beyond grateful. I don't even know if there's a, I don't know that I have the language to express my gratitude. It's really all encompassing in my ability to relate to my, I'm in a, um, relationship with someone who is a, a different race raised in different family dynamics, different socioeconomic status, um, unstably housed for much of his childhood, different education levels. Um, and so in how we operate in our relationship, it's impacted that how I operate with my family Mm -hmm. and can offer forgiveness and talk about these things that my, my parents aren't necessarily experts in um and also work in a system to dismantle um to give access for community students teachers in ways that they haven't had before Mm -hmm. so i'm just really all-encompassing grateful Mm -hmm. for that space and for the tools (laughs) Well, shout out to Deidre for uh, your emerging intuition that we must be relentless on consistently engaging the intersection of white supremacy and patriarchy. Because Barry, a lot of what you said resonates with me too. Like as a white woman in education, I was quick, quick to jump on the let's fight racism train and like sort of considered myself a feminist, but actually never really did any intentional work around how patriarchy was within me. And it's, um, in fact, just this moment, I realized it's a bit of a parallel, like, I was very clear that my consciousness around racism, earlier in my white identity development sort of had me exempt from looking at myself, which I see as a large issue of white folks, in not just education, but like, right, like, oh, I'm conscious that racism exists, so I don't have to look at myself. But also, like, I was conscious about feminism, and I'm a woman, so I don't have to look at patriarchy within myself like that's a that's a similarity I just uh really appreciate but yeah I think that thank you for making that connection. yeah and that like the the ways in which white supremacy cannot be upheld without patriarchy means that we have to be Deidre has taught me this that we have we must be diligent um if we're to actually engage in the transmutation of that um and so what does it look like to for me anyway like it's it's what does it look like to be a white person committed to ending racism, but also really clear that I have to unindoctrinate my own racism within myself. And also then sadly, like I'm a woman that has um, 
clearly experienced sexism, um, but also like I'm perpetuating sexism because I've been indoctrinated into patriarchy. And so I have to, I have to look at that too. All right. <laughs> but with grace and compassion makes it so much uh, more accessible. You know, I won't say it's easier, but it makes it more accessible. So shout out to you, Deidre. You'd be leading this Well, way. you know, you, you both have me thinking about you know, the name of that section in our course is Hidden in Plain Sight. And the reason I named it that was because it comes back to the language. Like what I started learning was like there's certain things that I was complicit in. And a lot of the course for me, the intersectionality of this, what I'm learning is that there have been so many years that I just have been so unhappy and filled with dis-ease and filled with like this feeling of not belonging, this feeling of sadness. And a lot of it was based in, and I'm continuing to tweeze it out and unpack it, but a lot of it was not based in things that were necessarily done to me. Some of it is like things that I have experienced because I'm a, I have targeted identities, but a lot of it has been since I am, we talked about such a love creature and I am about love. It was because I was complicit in patriarchy, complicit in white supremacy, like the internalized white supremacy, internalized anti-blackness, like the places where my spirit is not aligned with the ways I'm moving because I've been indoctrinated in a system of like, you know, I say to Maureen, it's like, I remind myself often that transmuting white supremacy and patriarchy is like attempting to detox from a drug while taking the drug. Yeah. Well, Barry, I want to, I don't want to um, cut you off, Maureen or Barry, but we're running low on time. So I just, is there any last things, Barry, that you want to, and, and thank you very much for the love that you're showing for our course and for the way we're moving through it. I uh, didn't bring you on here to do that, but I do appreciate you sharing that with folks. Uh, well, it's just a part of my journey, yeah. it, right? Like it's, it's the current place I am in my, I know that you didn't do that, but it's where I am in my journey. Um, in figuring out for the first time in my district how to lead a group of folks through this work um, in terms of equity in dismantling these systems of racism and patriarchy. And you asked me to be a part of that course before I had this position. So it's it the timing of it for me um, especially in like where we are as a society, this is, it, it's pertinent in this conversation, but it's also pertinent in my conversations with anybody who's inter interacting with me at this point. Um, yeah. it's, it's a mode of who I am in grappling with all of the really difficult mm -hmm. content. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's how I try it on for size and work through it in my life is it becomes ingrained in the fabric of how I weave through this whatever matrix <laughs> that we, that we well I deeply well, appreciate it I appreciate you my dear friend I appreciate the random texts that I get from you around the course and the screenshots that you take of the course the little tidbits that I love it I love it so thank you for that um I adore you Maureen do you have anything that you want to I just want to continue to express deep appreciation like I said you are absolutely one of my sheroes for you know not only the work you do but the way you are being in the world as you are doing this really important work so thank you for living the work and coming from a place of love and being so authentic and vulnerable and transparent with us today. I learned a lot. Thank you so much. And I, I deeply appreciate the, the push um, to <laughs> be on, come on this podcast. Um, it took a lot of grappling with myself mm. around uh, am I good enough to be in this space with these two remarkable women and, and having to like write my bio that I it was I was struggling um, so so much of um, the spaces that you are creating for mm. me to be able to operate in spaces that's going to change the world is, um, again, I, I gratitude doesn't feel mm. 
big enough. And Brene Brown would have the, has an atlas of emotions that I could draw from. And I still, <laughs> it's not big enough. Um, so I, I am deeply, deeply grateful, mm. not just for this conversation, but in how you have shaped, you both have shaped the way that I move because of the content you're creating mm. in the world. And so I, I am, um, Maureen, I, I know we're, I know we're really short on time, but I, I, there's, and there's one experience. I'm not going to stop talking. You could stop recording if you need. Um, in the course, you shared a moment where a parent came in, you were at a school, you were a principal of a school and a parent came in like hella heated, <laughs> um, and, and came in a, in a way where folks felt like they had to protect you. Um, and you saw that parent, for exactly what they were trying to do, which was protect yeah. their kid and advocate for their kid. And you allowed them to be authentic in that and didn't mute them in that. Um, and that one example has been able to alter the way that I train folks mm. around receiving our parents yeah. and not muting yeah. them. That allowing them to be seen at just that one story mm. shifted for now an entire district. Mm. So for your vulnerability in sharing, um, I haven't been able to experience a white woman doing this work in the way that you are so authentically and connecting with me in such a way that's allowing me to shift for um, an entire group of kids and community. Mm. And, and I am so thankful mm. that you are able to make the choice to be vulnerable so that I can learn and grow with and from mm. you. So um, thank you so much for your experience, for being in a space where you're using your voice to help lead and transform me mm. so that I can do it for others. I really am deeply grateful. Thank you. <laughs> I want Maureen to count to 10. Don't say anything. Just take it in. We want to take a moment and acknowledge the tools used in this podcast are from a course that we have co-created called Cultivating Intersectional Leadership. We believe the path of cultivating intersectional leadership is a transformative journey that supports individuals and organizations in making the deeply systemic, strategic, intuitive, innovative, and necessary shifts away from old ways of being that no longer serve us, our organizations, or our communities. For more information about the course, visit cultivatingintersectionalleadership.com. We want to thank our brilliant and kind producer, Aaron Rand Freeman. And don't forget, if you'd like to support us, we do appreciate it. You can find us on Patreon, Eyes on Whiteness, and you can rate and leave a review anywhere you're listening to the podcast.